Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. It is a wonderful gift that you have blessed us with. Lord, we pray as we take time to hear your voice, we pray that we may be willing servants to listen to it. It is one thing to hear, it is another thing to listen and obey. Lord, we pray that we may learn more about your son Jesus Christ this morning and may we be able to live more obediently in our lives as a result of hearing your voice here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you struggle to hold things firmly at times? There are some things that are easy to hold on to. Then there's other things that are more difficult to cling on to. Uh, One of those things uh, that my children love that is hard to hold on to is jelly. They have a a real propensity, a real love for jelly. And uh, invariably, because they're little, the jelly ends up on the floor. And whose job then is it to get it off the floor? It's usually one of the parents, including me. Have you ever tried to pick up jelly off carpet? It is very difficult. It squirms around. It is something that is hard to hold on to. You've got to try and pick it up lightly and quickly. It is difficult to grasp. There's many things in our life that are difficult to grasp. And one of those things is our Christian confession, our faith. The author of Hebrews tells us that we need to hold on firmly to our faith, to our confession, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible, open it up to page 1186, 1186, 1186, and we're up to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. We haven't been in Hebrews for quite some time. I've taken a break, but I left it at Hebrews 4.13, and so now we have returned to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and we see there that we are to hold firmly onto something that squirms away on um, if we're not careful, and that is in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. So little number 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What are we to hold firmly to? The faith we profess. Another way of translating that uh, is to, uh, the word faith is not there in the original. It's the confession that we have. To hold firmly to the confession that we have, to our confession. Why would the author of Hebrews need to tell us that, that we need to hold firmly onto our confession? Why would he need to tell it to the original readers of this book? Well, who were the original readers of Hebrews? Who did the author of Hebrews write to? He wrote to Hebrews, to Jews. Who were these Jews? They were people who were Jews and then they'd converted to Christianity and then it appears that they were getting persecuted, getting hurt for their faith, And so they were thinking of going back to Judaism, ignoring Christianity, stopping worshipping Christ, worshipping Jesus, and going back to Judaism. And so the author of Hebrews has a challenge before him. He's speaking to Jews who know the Old Testament very well that are now considering leaving Christianity behind. And so what he has done up to this point, as we've worked through it in previous weeks, is he's shown again and again that Jesus is far superior to other things held dearly in Judaism. What did he do, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 1? Well, he showed that Jesus is superior to angels. Just turn back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, page 1184 of the Church Bibles. Speaking about Jesus, he says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. If there is any being that comes to earth that you think is greater than you and is someone that you should listen to, it's an angel of God. But the author of Hebrews says Jesus is far greater than angels. What else is Jesus far greater than? Well, he's far greater than Moses. Chapter 3, verse 3, page 1185. What do we read there? We read in chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. And when we work through that passage, we saw that Jesus is indeed far superior to Moses. If you're talking to Jews and you show that someone is indeed superior to Moses, well, you're really travelling on their territory then and you're saying that if Jesus is indeed superior, then you've got to recognise that Moses is inferior, which, of course, most Jews don't want to do. But Jesus is superior to Moses, and so we need to listen carefully to what Jesus says. What else did uh, the author show? He's already shown that Jesus is also superior to Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua is an important character in the Old Testament. He is the one who brought the Israelites out of the desert into the Promised Land. He is the one that conquered the Canaanites. Joshua is a big deal in Judaism. He is the one who gave them the rest in the land. But then we see that Jesus is greater than Joshua in chapter 4 of Hebrews as well. Jesus is greater. We see that in four, chapter 4, verse 8 on page 1186 of your Bibles. Page 1186, chapter 4, verse 8, we see, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We see that Joshua was inadequate. When I preached through this before, he didn't give them the rest that lasted. The rest that they had in the land was inadequate because they, of course, left the land. They were sent into exile after they'd been in the land. There was not this rest that the Jews have. And you look at the land that is Israel today. Is it a state of rest or is it a state of unrest? Then clearly Joshua's rest is not the rest that God has promised. And where is that rest? It is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new Joshua. Joshua is just the Old uh, Testament name, the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is the new Joshua and he gives a greater rest than Joshua ever did. And where is that rest? That rest is in heaven, of course. We are looking forward to a wonderful rest, a new land that God will provide for us, given to us by Joshua in the Old Testament? No, Joshua of the New Testament, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is far superior to Moses, to angels, to Joshua. What else is he superior to? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. The author just keeps going again and again and showing how Jesus is far superior to anything Judaism has to offer in the Old Testament. And so we should not return to it. Who is Jesus superior to? Well, he's superior to the high priest Aaron. Aaron and his family were held in great honour. They were the high priests. And now the author wants to show that Jesus is superior not only to Moses, but to Moses' brother, Aaron who was the first high priest. Firstly, we've got to work out, is Jesus a high priest? 
Is he greater than Aaron because he's also a high priest? And that's my first main point this morning. You can see my main points on the back of the church bulletin there and follow along. Jesus is a high priest. What is a high priest? Well, a high priest had the important job of, of particularly paying for the sins of the people, paying for the sins of the Israelites. And so I want to look at the role of a high priest here this morning and how Jesus fulfills that role. Because we see in verse 14 of, one, of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, we see there that Jesus is indeed a high priest. But I want to now show that he is a high priest. We read in 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Because the author claims that Jesus is a high priest, we now need to look at what is a high priest and does Jesus actually fulfill the role of a high priest? The question is, what is a high priest? Well, for that, we have to go back to Leviticus chapter 16, which is found on page 113 of your church Bibles. Leviticus chapter 16, found on page 113. I encourage you to go back there because I'm going to read the whole chapter of chapter 16. And, uh, and so as we go through, you'll learn more and more about what a high priest's job was, and then we'll be able to evaluate whether Jesus is indeed a high priest. So pay, turn, please, with me to page 113 of Leviticus chapter 16, and we're going to read from verse 1 uh, through to verse 34. Page 113, page 113, Leviticus chapter 16, and we're going to read the whole chapter from verse 1 through to verse 34. Chapter 16 of Leviticus, verse 1, says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. You've got to understand that there was this tent of meeting that was set up, a tabernacle, and within that there was a holy place with a curtain keeping out people from the other part of the tabernacle. And the God is saying here to Aaron, the first high priest, you must not go in behind that curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the, the, um, where the ark is and the atonement cover. You must not go in there whenever you choose. When are you to go in then? Well, we read in verse 3. We read how Aaron is to enter and when he is to enter. It says, This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. What was the high priest meant to do? He was meant to get dressed before he went in and dressed in a particular way with particular clothes that the rest of the Bible actually tells us how they were to be made and and how they were to look. And then what is he to do? Well, we read in verse 6, the high priest Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. 
Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. For the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. So he's meant to come and he's meant to bring two goats and one goat is for a particular purpose and one goat is for another purpose. Then we read on, verse 11. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and for his, and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. So Aaron goes into this holy place. He's had to offer a bull for his own sin firstly. And then he comes in, he puts incense in, and of course the incense on the fire creates a cloud so that he can't see exactly God's ark there. Why? So that he does not die, it says. He's going into the presence of God when he goes behind that curtain. It's a big deal, and he just can't go in any time, and he can't go in in any way. He has to go in a very particular way as high priest. Then in verse 15, we continue to read. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering. Remember there's two goats? First goat for the sin offering. For the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the, uh, come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. Do you see what he's doing? He's going in. He's making these sacrifices. Why? To atone for the sins of the people. What does atonement mean? It means to make, uh, a good way to remember it is to at one month. Atonement at one month. Break up the word at one, atonement at one. You're making your at self at one with God again. You have been separated from God by your sin. Now, through atonement, you're being, being brought back into relationship with God because of the sacrifice that has been offered of animals. Then verse 20. When Aaron had fini has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. Remember goat number two. What happens to goat number two? Verse 21. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. 
Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offerings for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. So we see there the goats. One is offered as a sin offering. And then there's this other goat, which... Aaron confesses as high priest all the sins of the people on top of the head of that goat. And then what happens to that goat? It gets sent out into the wilderness to take the sins of the people outside the camp out into the wilderness, to remove the sins of the people away from them. And then we read in verse 26 about that man who takes out the goat. Verse 26, the man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh and offal are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. See that even the remains of those sacrifices, where do they end up? They need to be taken outside the camp because they have the sins of the people put upon them. They can't stay inside the camp with the sins still clinging to their hides. It says there that everything has to be taken out. Their hides and everything have to be taken outside the camp. And Aaron as high priest has to make sure that this is happening. And then we read in verse 29 about how often this is to occur. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you. Because on this day, atonement, at one month, will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves it is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. Only high priests can make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place and for the tent of meeting and the altar and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. How often do you get to go behind that curtain as high priest? Once a year, only once a year on the Day of Atonement, a special day in the Jewish calendar where your sins are taken care of by the high priest or one of his, uh, high priest Aaron or one of his descendants. It had to be one of his descendants and it had to be a lasting ordinance. It had to keep on going. And so then, of course, the Jews in the New Testament period, they're being told, you've got a different high priest now. Who is that high priest? Well, it's Jesus. And the question is, okay, well, is Jesus a high priest? This is meant to be a lasting ordinance that this high priest goes in behind this curtain and makes atonement for us, takes care of our sins. Did Jesus perform the actions of a high priest? Well, the answer is yes. Jesus did indeed perform the actions of a high priest. He offered sacrifices for the sins of God's people. How did he do that? Well, of course, by the sacrifice that he offered at the cross. He didn't offer a sacrifice behind the temple curtain. He offered himself at the cross. He was a sin offering at the cross. All the sins of Christians were put upon him. And he took the wrath of God 
And so the sins of the people are removed, are taken away and put upon Jesus. So he performed the actions of goat number one. He offered that sacrifice as high priest by offering himself. And goat number one, he was a sin offering. What about goat number two, the scapegoat, the one that went outside the camp with the sins of the people? Where was Jesus crucified? Was it inside Jerusalem, inside the camp? No, the Romans sent him to be crucified outside the camp, outside Jerusalem. We read in John 19, verse 19, it says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It wasn't in the city. It was outside the city gates that Jesus was crucified. He went outside the camp with the sins of the people. So Jesus is a high priest. He is a high priest who offered a sin offering for the sins of people. And he offered himself as the scapegoat as well, as one who had the sins poured out upon his head. So the question then is, okay, Jesus is a high priest. He's offered a sin offering. But is he a great high priest? I mean, that's what we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, we read on page 1186, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, he's saying, since we have a high high priest, let us hold firmly to the Christian confession. How do we know that Jesus is greater than Aaron? How do we know that Jesus is greater than a descendant of Aaron? Why should we cling to Jesus as a high priest over a a high priest of Judaism? Why shouldn't we go back to Judaism and have the high priest of Aaron serve us? Is he a great high priest? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus is a great high priest who who went through the heavens, who went through the heavens. And we read that in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Remember Aaron? He passed through that temple curtain into the most holy place. The author of Hebrews is saying Jesus passed through a curtain as well. He passed through a veil. What was that veil? He passed through the heavens into heaven itself. He went not just... He didn't go into the holy place here on earth. He went into heaven itself, which is, of course, far holier than any place can be here on earth. He went up into heaven. We see uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 4 as well from verse 8. He says, this is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Jesus came down to the earthly regions. But he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Is Jesus a greater high priest than Aaron? Well, of course, yes. He's gone into heaven itself to make you right with God. Aaron went behind a little earthly curtain to make you right with God. Where is Jesus gone? He's gone into heaven itself to see God and make sure that you're atoned for sin before God himself. Jesus is a far greater high priest than Aaron ever was. 
because he's actually stayed there. Remember Aaron? He had to keep coming out. He could only go in once a year and he had to be very careful about how he went in. He had to wash himself. He had to put on special clothes. Jesus, where's Jesus now? He's still in heaven. He's still behind the veil. He's there. Of course he's a greater high priest. He's reigning on high in heaven. He's opened a way for us to go there and be with him in heaven itself. Why would you follow Judaism and its earthly priests, its earthly high priests, who go behind a little veil? And I mean, at the moment, the temple isn't there, so they can't go behind any veil and make atonement for sin. Why would you go back to Judaism? No, Jesus is a great high priest. He's a high, high priest. He's the highest high priest. And so we should be following him. Any other reasons to follow Jesus as the great high priest? Why else is he great? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Jesus is a great high priest who is the Son of God. Who is the Son of God. The author of Hebrews has shown, when we looked at it previously, the importance of Jesus' humanity for him to be a high priest. And we saw that back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Look at Hebrews 2.14, page 1185. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, little number 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity. Jesus was fully human, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, that's like you, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to be human to be the high priest, to intercede on our behalf. And the author of Hebrews has told us that. But now he wants to tell you that Jesus is not just fully human, but he's also fully God. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. Were any of the high priests descended from Aaron able to claim that, that they are the Son of God? No. Jesus is God's Son. He is fully God. He's fully human, yes, but he's also fully God. And so he is the greatest of all high priests. He's a wonderful person to have as your high priest. Why? Because... Who's he interceding on your behalf with? God the Father. Who do you want to go to the Father in heaven and speak on your behalf? Of course you want the Son of the Father to go. The Father's much more likely to listen to the Son than he is to some other person. You have the Son of God. God himself going and interceding with God the Father. So, of course, Jesus 
is the greatest of all high priests. He is indeed the highest high priest. And so, what should you do? Well, we should do what I've said before, but it's my fourth main point. Jesus is your great high priest, so hold firmly to your confession. Jesus is a great high priest, so hold firmly to your confession. If Jesus is a great high priest, then you need Jesus and Jesus alone to atone, make you at one with God. Your sin is great. Do you understand that? How much you've sinned against God. And so you need someone to come between you and God and make you right with God, to intercede before you, to be an advocate for you. What you're being told by the Bible again and again is that there is a high court with a judge and you are a criminal in that court. And evidence is brought forward to show that you have sinned against the court, against the judge, against the state. You've sinned against God. And he is judge. Now what are you going to do? We're all there. We're all in that position. We've all sinned. We're all there before the judgment seat, before the judgment throne of God. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to represent yourself in court? If you got called into a court here in Australia, would you be so foolish as to represent yourself or would you get a lawyer to help represent you in court? Of course you would. Only really stupid people try to go by it themselves or people who are actually lawyers themselves. You, of course, would get a lawyer. You'd get someone to be your advocate before the judge. Are you going to, if you're going to do that here on earth, are you going to do that in the heavenly court? Are you going to represent yourself and stand up before God and say, I'm okay, I can make up for what you're, what's been put against me, the charges that have been laid? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to get somebody else to go before you. And so what do you need? You need a priest. You need a high priest. You need someone to represent you. Who is your high priest? Is it someone, a priest of another religion, like Judaism? Are you still a Jew and you've got high priests to intercede for you? Or maybe of another religion. There's priests in lots of different religions. Hinduism, even Roman Catholicism has its priests. Who is going to be the one who intercedes before you, before God, for you? Who is going to be your lawyer in court? Are you going to employ an earthly person to go and intercede before you? Or are you going to employ the heavenly one, Jesus, the great high priest, the one who went into heaven itself, which no priest here on earth has ever been able to do? And Jesus, the son of God, God himself, God's son, is he the one that you're going to employ to be the one who pleads your case, who goes before God the Father and says, yes, Joel has sinned. But I come before you and I am the one who is interceding on his behalf. I am the one who is footing the bill for Joel's sin here in this heavenly court. Who are you going to get? Are you going to get Jesus? I encourage that you do because he is the high priest. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, then you are going to be called before the heavenly court one day. Who is going to represent you? Your end will come and you will be judged. Whether Jesus comes back or whether you die tonight and you are judged then. Who is going to represent you? Think about it. 
What are you going to cling to if you get called up before God? Is it going to be some something you say yourself? You're going to intercede on your own behalf? Are you going to say, oh, yes, um, back there on earth, there's a priest down there that you need to get up. He's going to, he's going to talk on my behalf. I encourage you, don't walk down that foolish road. Instead, have Jesus as your great high priest. Have him be the one who intercedes, as one who is very experienced in being in the heavenly court, as one who is passed into heaven, as it says here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, as one who is the Son of God. Have him be your intercessor. How? Repent of your sins, say you're sorry, to God for what you've done and trust that Jesus paid for your sins at the cross. Believe, trust, have faith. That's all you need to do is trust that Jesus is your intercessor. And so when you die and God has you before judgment throne, someone's there with you. Jesus, the Son of God. Have that happen for you today. Have that now. Repent of your sins and trust that Jesus died for you. And if you are a Christian, I encourage you to do what Hebrews 4.14 says. Hold firmly onto that confession that you have. Yes, sometimes being a Christian, uh, continuing to hold to the faith is like holding on to jelly. It squirms away, particularly when... You're getting persecuted for being a Christian when you're getting ridiculed for being a Christian. You have this temptation in you to give up the confession of faith. Or when you have doubts about Christianity, you're tempted to give up. When you struggle with sins in your life, there's sins in my life that I've struggled against and you just don't seem to get anywhere. And sometimes you just think, why don't I just give up? Why persist in being a Christian? Well, that's where Hebrews 4.14 comes into play. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What's the alternative? If you give up that confession, if you don't hold firmly to it, well, Jesus is no longer your great high priest and you are going to be on your own before the heavenly court. Why would you do that? So when you're suffering, when you're struggling against sin, when you've got doubts about Christianity, remember who is on your side. Jesus, the Son of God, your great high priest. Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is indeed the highest high priest ever known. He is the one who went into heaven itself. He went behind all the veils. And he is your son. Lord, we thank you that his sacrifice that he offered is indeed far greater than the the sacrifices of goats. Lord, he offered himself. And so he atoned for our sins. He made us at one with you. And we can have that if we simply turn from our sins and trust that he died. Lord, we pray that everybody in this room this morning is someone who has Jesus interceding on their behalf. And if they do not, Lord, we pray that you may strike fear into their hearts so that they cling to Christ even now. Lord, we do also pray for Christians here this morning 
Lord, we pray that we may always hold firmly to the faith we profess. Lord, we pray that we may remind ourselves of who Jesus is and how great an intercessor we have on our behalf. And may we not want to let him go, but may we cling to him all our lives, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering and and doubts and struggles with sin. May Jesus continue to be our great high priest because we hold firmly to that confession. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.